Welcome to the Bomb and Gouge podcast. I'm your host, Gary Bissell. This week's guest is former PGA Tour player and current Champions Tour player, Tom Gillis. On this episode, Tom and I will touch on what it was like on his long road to the PGA Tour, what he actually learned out there and advice to young players, as well as what his future has in store on the Champions Tour. All right, Tom, welcome into the Bomb and Gouge podcast. Happy to have you this week. Yeah, no worries. All right, Tom, so obviously making a transition here into the Champions Tour from the PGA Tour, but you've got a really cool story, and I've gotten to know you over the last year um, and learned a lot from you and um, a lot of what it takes to make it in this game. And, you know, you were a so-called journeyman for a long time, and I don't know if, if people take offense to that at times, that label, but, you know, I look at it as a really cool thing because – it's so tough to make it on the PGA tour, obviously. And, you know, the guys who keep fighting and don't give up and you were certainly one of those guys. So for the listeners, give us a little background into your golf life. And, you know, it took you a while to get on the PGA tour and you had so much fight and just tell us a little bit about that and what it was like for you. Well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't decorated coming out of college as, as an all American or anything even close. I just figured I had some people at the country club that I worked at up in the uh, Detroit area, Indianwood Golf Country Club. And they were willing to give me a miss. The owner actually was going to give me a shot for one year. So that's uh, I thought I'd just try it one year, and then it just one turn to five, and then you get to a point of no return at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so you know. what, uh, what, journey, what exactly was your journey like? Like what tours did you play coming up? Yeah. And um, what age was it when you finally made it on the, and got your PGA Tour card? Uh, I believe I was 32. It was 2002, November of 2002. So, I, yeah, I was born in 68, probably 34, actually. So, it took a while. It took me 12 times. Uh, I spent five years in Europe prior to that on the European tour. I played in South Africa and Asia and um, five, four or five years on the Hooters tour, probably in that range. Uh, it was just a steady progression of continuing to improve. Um I mean, I it, look back on it, you know, when you said about the journeyman, the only, I'd never really upset me, upset my wife once in a while. I hate that term, you know, <laughs> like it's really not that bad a term. <laughs> you know, I mean, Luke Donald one time said, he goes, I used to look down at you guys when I was playing so good at journeyman. He goes, now all I am is a journeyman. I go, hey, buddy, I go, it, it, it's a fine line in this game, you know, so, uh, I feel good about what we're, where we went with it and how, where it's, what's taken me. I, like I said, I thought I would always just be a club pro or something like that one day. And I was fine with that. I'm like, that's a great three days a week off winners off. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, a lot of guys try to play professional golf, like a lot. Um, what made you feel like, you had it in you to actually make it to the PGA tour and, and be one of the few that does accomplish that goal. Was there maybe a moment in time or a year that you had where you said, you know what, I have a real shot at this. Well, they're just, you know, when you're about, when the ship's about ready to go down, you're out of money or whatever, there just things would happen for me that would keep me going. And that's really all it was. I wouldn't say it was one moment. There were several of them that kicked in at a certain time and, kept kept the you know the faith the belief you know you just kept believing and then after that 
you know, after about three of those or so, I'm like, this is going to happen. It's, you got to get prepared for it. So, uh, I mean, just there were signs, you know. I mean, there there wasn't one event that put me over or anything like that, but I kept winning and in times where I was about done. And, it, you know, I kind of listened to those feelings. Yeah, that's – it's a pretty incredible story kind of from where you were and um, to actually achieve getting on the PJ Tour. You know, there's been obviously people with far better high school and college careers than you that um, have never made it on the PGA Tour. And so it, it's pretty impressive for uh, – what's that? I said thank you. I said yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it feels, you know, it's not, I was always honored to be on the tour for the eight or nine years I was there every day. I really enjoyed being there. You know, I did. I, I mean, even on the bad days, it was still, like I said, I never planned for it. So it wasn't like I was like going, a lot of these kids now are just going through the motions because they planned for it since they were five. I didn't plan for it. So every, it was exciting the whole time. Like even the rain delays, I love the rain delays. Cause we'd sit around and talk. It was a time you could really get with the players, you know, and be unified. You know what I mean? Like it was cool. That, that part's the biggest part I missed on the two year break, you know? Yeah. Is the, the camaraderie. Oh, for thing. Sure. That's where Tiger is now. You know, I mean, he's there now realizing that after his sabbatical, he's like, geez, I actually missed the guys. <laughs> you know? And it's it, interesting. It's really that. the relationships at the end of the day. That's what I missed. You know, the journey is the journey. That's the best part of it. Once you realize that, you can have fun. Not let yeah. you up too bad. You know, it's funny you mentioned Tiger that he missed the camaraderie. I think that surprised a lot of people because he was always viewed as kind of a loner out there. Well, he was. He was. He was all business all the time, and there were moments. There's no way you could do that all the time, and not let your guard down to some extent. He wasn't letting it down to guys like me because we just never saw him enough or didn't really know him, never had a history with him. But he was doing a little bit with the top players because they're seeing each other at the world events. And, you know, it's a tiny, intimate atmosphere once you get in those top 30 in the world. But, you know, I think overall he, he's never been rude to anybody out there. He's always been a gentleman to play with. I've never played with him, but everybody I've known has played with him, so he's a total gentleman. And so he's good for the game. Hopefully he knocks one off here soon. <laughs> yeah, he's certainly getting close. So Yeah, oh yeah, I'm happy for him. Speaking of getting a win, let's talk about your closest call with winning on the PGA Tour. Um, the 2015 John Deere, um, you know, that was a, a great week for you. And the cool part about it was, were you 47 or 48 at that time? I think I was almost 47. I think I was 40, actually 46. I think I turned 47 the next week at the British. Okay. So, yeah. So you look at that and, you know, you're out of your so-called prime by most people's standards. And then you have your best event and you actually went into a playoff with Jordan Spieth. So speak to that week a little bit and what allowed you to play so great that week and just reflect for a little bit for the listeners on, on that yeah. experience for you. Well, to just quote what you're saying in regard to the out of your prime. See, for me, I never felt like that. Never felt like I was out of my prime. I used to hear people say that all the time. Oh, your prime. Hey, no prime. Everybody has a different prime. You don't know. You know, to me, I'm like, I know I was getting better in my forties, you know, and we're not out there hitting, you know, 
each other. I mean, it's, it's golf. I mean, if you're in shape, you should be fine. You know, as long as you don't have the yips or, you know what I mean? The nerve, big nerve twitches, you can compete. So that week, I mean, I didn't have any confidence at all. It was just one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't have any expectations. I missed the cut the week before I was frustrated. I had zero confidence, you know. So I actually that week I just seemed to slow everything down and I tried, you know, just everything really slow it down. And I rode the key the whole week, you know. And as Dave Stockton said, once you get one good tip, you better start looking around the corner for another one. <laughs> and by the end of the next week it was gone, you know. And that's the beauty about golf though, you know. I mean that's really the great thing about it is that uh, there's always hope to be able to Lock on to something that's going to carry you away. And, you know, it, it is what it is. I think I, you learn that over time to let that happen. I think if I was 24 or 5, I wouldn't know how to do that. I, I, would, I would sabotage it prior to that, maybe not keep doing that key or not trust the process. Exactly, you know. Yeah, no question. So, yeah. did, you, did you actually play with Jordan in the final round? Or you no. came from behind a little bit, right? Yeah, we finished with, I think, maybe a group or two ahead of them, I believe. Okay, so then you just played him in the playoff. Any Correct. thoughts for the listeners on Jordan and, and how well you may know him and kind of speak to you know his success? Because the thing he's always been regarded as extremely mature for his age. Yeah, well, I, you know, I really, I really don't know him. I mean, he was a total gentleman in the playoff and all that. Um, I think he was just, you know, he was going to number one in the world that day. I mean, or he might have even been, you know. He had two of the majors already locked up, so I was more concerned that he maybe wouldn't be that interested in the playoffs. That's what I was. <laughs> well, maybe he's ready to get on that jet and get over there. And uh, so after the first playoff hole, we were walking off screen. He put his arm around me. He goes, "Isn't this great? I love this." I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is just great." <laughs> That's not what we wanted to hear. He's all jacked up, you know. I didn't know him that well. I should have offered him a split. Hey. I'll give you the cash. Give me the two and a half years, you know, last, <laughs> you know, and, and everybody gave him a hard time about it after Duffner and a few guys, but he, he's, he's good for the game as well. You know, I mean, he's frustrated this year and it, I can't imagine at their age to be on the, you know, I couldn't have handled that emotionally. I would have been, you know, because the media, if they slam a club or anything, all of a sudden they're hot head crybaby and, it's really not the case, you know, just frustrated. Nobody gets out unscathed. That's what I told Luke Donald. I said, nobody gets out. Jack didn't, Tiger didn't. It's too tough a game. You're going to be humble. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it is, you know, it's, I think it's tougher now, as you yeah. spoke to, because with media and the way it is, I mean, you make one little mistake, oh, and all of a sudden you're late. Or proven innocent, for sure. I couldn't, there's no way I would have. So I commend those guys. I mean, I know they have a good life and they're making a lot of money and all that, but there's still a little bit of an infringement of time and your space that comes with that. And it, it takes special people to be able to handle it. Yeah. So, Tom, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, you're talking about guys like Jordan Spieth, and you and I have had this conversation before talking about you, you refer to them as the needle movers. Um, you know, the really special guys like the Ricky yeah. Fowlers, the Jordan Spees of the world, but that's the minority, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the one in a million. So yeah. 
most guys are more like you. And I, I believe the last time I saw the average age of a PGA Tour rookie is somewhere in the neighborhood of 28, 29 years old. You know, it's yeah. this idea of being on the tour and dominating by 24. Well, it's pretty unrealistic. Doesn't happen. Um, yeah, it doesn't happen other than the, the very few. So for someone like you who, who came up the, the more normal way onto the tour yeah. um, in reality, you know, what are your advice for young players who are, are starting to make that journey and, and what's it going to take for them to get over the hump? And, and what did you learn along that journey? Well, I think they're, I mean, I think they know what to do. I mean, uh, you know, and they, some, they'll do it. And sometimes the competition's so fierce now that sometimes even with a good process and good system, you still might not get through. So you got to stay the course. If the numbers, you're shooting the numbers and the numbers are the numbers. There's no way around that. You know, and if not, then be willing to make a change. You know, I mean, I, I see people that get dug in on their process too, to a point over periods of time that they can't, they're not willing to make a change. And then they slow their play down, you know, get into slow play mode. It's a big checklist instead of playing golf. And I would always keep that conscious right there because the game will start questioning everything with you. I mean, it's such a fickle game that he'll start questioning everything. And over, I think I did it so long. I was like, heard it. Not, <laughs> you know what I mean? But when I was going through it, I didn't have that attitude. Wish I did. You know? But you got to be, you got to be, you know, Jack Nicholas said the year he, one of his best years, he changed his putting stance like 27 times or 37 times. And he goes, now you couldn't even tell the naked eye, but I might've just turned my toe out a quarter inch or whatever I could do to see the line. So it is still a game of adjustments. You know, that's why the Bryson DeChambeau thing is kind of fun to watch. Because when <laughs> yeah. it's not going right, there's a meltdown. You know, the computer starts burning up. You know, and it's like, man, that doesn't look fun. I'd rather play by feel, by pitchers, you know. So I don't yeah. know if that answers your question. but Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think um, it, it's just, it's amazing to me how tough it is to get on the PGA tour. Yeah. I, I would maybe argue it's the toughest sport to get to the highest level. Um, Cause there's so many variables involved and it's such a fine line. You know, you gotta be willing to, you know, I just be prepared that it could take five years, you know, I mean, it could, you know, um, not everybody's Jordan, you know, I mean, it's uh there's more better players now. What you see is the effect when Tiger was the most popular athlete in the world right around 2000. Right in that range, kids had to make a choice between sports, golf, football, whatever it was. Well, at that time, it was cool to play golf. So now you have more Brooks Kepkas and that are 25 or whatever, 27, Dustins, and that are strong. You know, it was cool to play golf. And so that's part of it. Now, if it keeps, I'd like to know if it's going to keep up like that. We'll see, you know. The guys carrying the torch right now, Ricky and then Jordan and Justin, they're all good guys. Yeah. So you mentioned Brooks and, and these young guys and, and the workout thing. So yeah, I know you still stay in shape and it goes back to that, that prime thing. And I love the comment of you don't know what your prime is. And as long as you can stay in good shape, you can certainly prolong that prime. And I know you went through a pretty intense workout program this winter. So speak a little bit to fitness and how that's prolonged your game and allowed you to play at such a high level for so long. Well, you really see it when you go to the level I go to now because this is the end. So, like, bodies start – it's just called age. So you see guys that don't move like they did, you know, people that you watched as kids. 
<clears throat> they still might have taken care of themselves, you know. But now I think, I mean, those guys are way more committed than I am. I would say I committed for about seven months, and then it's hard for me to do that on the road. But uh, anytime you can stabilize your, your spine and your core and all that, because that spine's just not made to be twisted and turned like it turns. It's just as simple as that. So to me, once Tiger came, everybody got serious. Simple as that. There's no other way around it. As soon as he showed up, everybody was in the gym. Prior to that, I was never in the gym. I stretched morning to night. That was it. And that'll get you quite a ways, but at some point, you got to do some strength training. Yeah. I mean, you look now, and I talked about it in my last podcast, but Brooks kept just saying he benched 225 14 times. You know, and then you see him out there absolutely pounding it. And yeah, it leads you to believe that there, there's a strong correlation there between strength training and distance. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's no question. It is. I, I don't think that I'm just a little shocked by, you know, pushing that hard that you wouldn't lose a little feel swing wise, you know, because anytime I'm pressing like that on that day, I'm I, my sessions aren't very good after, you know, I'm not doing that. You know, but I mean, I'm doing. 35 pounds on each um, hand and, and on the bench, you know, and maybe even 45 lesser when you're really doing it. And I'm like, I don't hit the balls good after that. I'm, I'm like, you know, I do better off of maybe a more of a cardio based workout, less weight, not building strength. Then I go out and I feel like I got all the speed in the world. So you need to know what's the right at what time too. You know what I mean? The off season, you build the muscle. In the season, you maintain. As you get older, it's harder. I can tell when I look at the TV too. I'm like, jeez, I'm back up about 223. You know, it, <laughs> it's hard. It changes more when when you're younger. It never fluctuates the weight. You know, like Dustin can't. He can't put weight on, and he's lifting and he's doing everything he can. Probably never will. He's one of those lucky people. Yeah, he's <laughs> lucky. <laughs> He's pretty skinny still, even though he, he's in the gym a lot. We've yep. seen the, that video of him in the gym a lot, but he's clearly very strong. Oh, completely strong. And his trainer thinks he's stronger than Brooks, just on different levels, you know. So, Yeah, so <clears throat> and we'll talk about the Champions Tour and your transition into that here in a minute. But quick, I just with any real golfer I have, on the podcast, I like to do this quick fire round where I just oh, throw yeah. a question at you and just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. So, first one would be, what's your favorite course you've ever played? Pebble. Pebble. Okay. Very, very. You know, it's funny. You don't really get that answer that much, even though you think you would. Yeah, I, uh, the views are just, it's just the greatest four-hour walk in your life. I don't know how you can beat it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, and there's not 18 great holes you know i mean there's a couple holes that are marginal everybody knows it but it's it's the walk my favorite hole at pebble is on the first hole when i'm hitting my second shot i can't even see the ocean but i can hear it like man it's gonna be a nice beautiful walk around here today <laughs> <Quick punk. laughs> yeah it's a good one i just got back from there, obviously from the usam and uh, that was my first time seeing it it took and a while I, for it to grow on me you know when i first saw it i was i liked spyglass better but then over time, I still like Spyglass. I think it's a phenomenal golf course, you know. But I'm being from Michigan, I was smitten by Spyglass. But the more I played Pebble, I thought it was overrated when I first played it. This place is overrated. And then I kept going around it, and I just kept getting joy every time I went around. I'm like, got to give it the props, you know. 
Yeah, it's really, really good. There's no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, favorite person to play with on the PGA Tour? So, I'd be my best buddy out there, Carl Peterson. Yeah, we did play once. And I remember I lagged on the last hole to beat him one up. And he goes, that's nice. You lagged that putt. He goes, it probably cost you about 18, 20 grand in the first idiot. And I go, I beat you one up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's awesome. How about favorite swing on the PGA Tour? Oh, favorite swing. Man, they all look so alike now. That was a great question years ago because it'd be like Elkington, you know, or so now my favorite. Well, I like watching Justin swing it. I really do. I love how he gets the power and the zip and off from the ground and how he's uh, he's not from underneath. It doesn't look underneath the ball at all. He looks like right down the line. So it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, he he's got a unique one with the high left arm and yeah, it's high cool. I like points. it. I wish I could get to there because I I think as a taller player and he's not tall, but for me, I think it it'd be yeah, it's just be it's, it's easier for me to take a club there. I guess is what I'm saying. That's where I want to take the club. I've never been able to play that good from there, but he can. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no no question. And that's actually you're the second person that's given that answer on this podcast. Casey Lubon said the same thing. Yeah, it's, 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 I think if you can get it there, I, I just think that it, it just looks to me like his face is square to the target longer than most players. Simple. That's the simplest way I can say it. All right. How about a most memorable moment on the PGA Tour? Most memorable moment on the PGA Tour. Uh, well, I would say that I'll remember that playoff with Spieth probably the most, unfortunately. <laughs> I own that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But and I don't look at it as a bad way. The only reason I, I – and I've told you that I never felt like I was scared in the playoff or playing conservative. But, you know, I, I tried to force it, hit a little bit longer drive on that last shot just to – uh, get a little shorter iron to be able to take that end. You make birdie because I just felt like he was too good that he wasn't the player that you're just going to hang around and play four holes with. He's going to make a long pot or something. It's going to be over. So you're going to have to try to force the issue. And I'm good with that. Whether it was right or wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, even if it, if it was in a loss, going into a playoff to win a PGA Tour event is a pretty cool moment no matter yeah. what. Very few people get to experience. I mean, we had some funny moments. One time I got a pig head in my locker from Tim Heron and Scott McCarron and Carl Peterson. And <laughs> George McNeil, they had a pig roast for the Wednesday Pro-Am, and, and they asked a cook for it, and the guy gave it to them. They put it in my locker, and I came in to get a sweater at the turn, and there was a marble hanging out of it, and it was a pig head. Man, the whole locker smelled like pork. I mean, my sweater smelled awful. <laughs> I saw that marble, and I go, that's... <laughs> like that to me is really cool and that's like when i'm with sitting with guys that played tour i'm not going to be talking about the playoffs it doesn't come up never we're going to talk about that or another you know so there's so many of them for me like i said there was a lot of i had a lot of fun out there and there was a lot of guys that wanted to play in our tuesday group it's just we wouldn't let them in because they just weren't that fun <laughs> and we like that fun you know laugh all day and it was the best part of the week the camaraderie was anyhow back to our so that's all I have for quick fire. I'm going to move into some listener questions. You know, I opened it up last. Oh time. yeah. That should be interesting. <laughs> so I, I, picked oh, yeah. up, 
I picked a couple here that I thought were interesting. The first one is, I love this question. It's very simple, but um, I, I'm going to be interested to hear your answer. How's your ping pong game? Ping pong? I'm not very good at ping pong. Yeah. Uh, I like to try to play it, but it's not that good. Okay. How about, now this, so, well, this is a good one here. Uh, how do you mentally recover from a bad hole or a bad shot? And the specific example that they left was if you were to miss a short par pot, right? Like that's a hard one to recover from. What do you do to get that out of your head and not let it affect you on the upcoming shot or holes? Well, at that point, that's when the self-talk kicks in. And um, this goes back to what we haven't talked about yet on the show, but uh, from a tour player standpoint, there's some weeks you can take the punches and some weeks you can't because they keep coming every week. It's not college anymore. There's, they're coming every week. So, and the good weeks, it's like you're in a bubble. Nothing penetrates it. Even something like that, you just it doesn't even it doesn't even make you flinch, you know. And the best can do that all the time. Matt Kuchar's probably one of the best at it. Not on the short putt thing, but just week to week, play good with a positive attitude, and his results show. Not every player can take that. Everybody's wired differently. You know what I mean? Some weeks they just lose it. Ready to get home, see the kids. So I think, you know, at that year, you're telling yourself, listen, it's just, this is a long haul. You know, I mean, I'd be more concerned about missing one of those late, and I've done it. And then I lived through that. So now I don't fear that anymore. You know, sometimes you got to go through those, those moments to be able to excel and understand how you're going to handle them and then realize it isn't really that big a deal. Yeah, and I I think that's I love the last part of dumb it down. Yeah, it's just and at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal, no, and no. everything's recoverable. Oh, and, sure. Are not? You're not? You're not? This isn't world peace. You're not going to bring North and South Korea together. You're playing golf, <laughs> so don't give it too. Much, you know. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's true, though. You know what I mean. It, uh, I think that's where I'm at right now. The Champions Tour, I don't, nothing seems to even really like on tour. When I was in those situations, I felt more of a heightened uh, state of mind. I don't, I'm not feeling that out there, you know. Now maybe I will, or maybe it's because I've been away from the adrenaline surges for two years, which I think that takes effects on people too. You know, I was telling my uh, uh, nephew the other day, I said, we play this cornhole, you know, we played around the lake during the holidays, you know, and I remember when I was on tour and I'd play it, we play teens or whatever. As soon as I got the bag in my hand, I start my heart would start running. So I was like into breathing mode. I'm like, Jesus, Pete, we're having a breathing moment here playing cornhole. Well, it's a conditioned response, you know, now we play it this summer and I'm not, my heart rate never spikes. So to me, it's, that's why you have to take time off. You can't just be stringing eight to 10, 12 tournaments in a row. You got to, your nervous system has to rest. Yeah, that's a great point. So the last question that I thought was really good, and it's so cool that this one came in because we talked about this recently. And I think this is maybe the most important part of the podcast to me understand and um, how do you deal with fear and nervousness? Because the perception is PGA tour players don't deal with that, right? Like they're superhuman. No. 
way. They they got ice in their veins. So how do you deal with that? And what talk about your experiences with it? There's times where I I just couldn't stand it. You know, I think what happens is you get used to it. You should get used to it. The more you're in there, it should become less of an issue. For me, I wasn't always in there all the time. I was like the middle of the road guy finishing 25th or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, those, those that's a little stress, but it's not to the level when you get up there into it. And, you know, I, I mean, I try to really breathe is the most important thing. And uh, I'm always trying to breathe it down. When I feel it, I'm like, okay, let's, can we sit here for 30 seconds, close our eyes in your room or wherever you are and calm down because those adrenaline surges are going to come too. And, but the more you get in the situation, they come less. And Carl Peterson said that. He was a five-time winner on tour. And I noticed that later in my career. The second time when I was with Jordan, I felt more relaxed than I did when I was in the last group, finishing second to Roy in 2012. I felt more comfortable. I wasn't like, I've never been here. So a lot of it's through experience. How about say first tee jitters right those are a big thing that a lot of people suffer from and have you ever suffered from that and no. how did you overcome it no no i never knew what the whole hype was over the first tee what what does it matter i'm like this the last one's going to be more important to you during the day if you're playing good the 18th who gives a crap about the first one you got time <laughs> to recover so yeah. i never, that's how i always look at that and i don't know if it's right or wrong it's just how i did it yeah, and I, and I don't know if it's right or wrong either because the funny part is Haney talks about Tiger always suffered from first tee jitters. Well, yeah, I mean, the anxiety comes in different forms. To me, one of the things I try to do when I know I'm going to be anxious, like I just was two weeks ago in the last round at 3 a.m. I hadn't been there in two-plus years. So I was really concerned about being anxious. So I just, like, try to ease into the round. I try not to. I would say if I was going to play conservative, it'd be in the first 45 minutes to an hour of it to get calmed down. Because once you get in there, like this is my environment, I'm getting more comfortable. Nothing bad's happening. But you start one of those rounds out when your emotions are already high. You, just, you whip bogey out right out of the box or something, you know, a double. That kind of deflates the day. So I try to ease into it. Even if I was one over through four or whatever, I'm like, I just still got time. I might be able, I might bird the next four or five. Who knows? absolutely um so tom let's talk about you know last topic today is now you're transitioning from the pga tour and you like you said you were coming off a a year and a half two years off uh, yeah and now you're transitioning into the champions tour so tell me you've played two events now and let's add you've played really well you've taken third place on back-to-back events which is quite a start to your Champions Tour career. What have you noticed in the two weeks on the Champions Tour that's different? You know, obviously a lot of the names are the same, guys that you played against on the PGA Tour, but what are some of the big differences between the Champions Tour and the PGA Tour? Well, I would say most of the guys have their money, you know. I mean, they, they, they're, you know, the, the window's closing. This is the last chapter, I guess you'd say. That's how I feel, too. But, uh so I would say overall they're a little more relaxed. It's not as uh, business and you know businessman like like the tour has really changed a lot in the last probably four or five years. But a lot of great players for one and great kids, but it's it's business. I mean they've been training for this for a long time. Some of those older guys are they worked at the club. They were cat. You know what I mean? 
so it's a different crowd and I, I really enjoy it you know that it's just more laid back I would say the whole thing's a little bit more laid back yeah like the fact that you can take carts certainly speaks to that yeah and you know a lot of guys don't like the cart thing you know there's guys that are trying to you know get rid of those permanently uh, but one I've watched for the last two years, I've been watching that tour. I don't ever see anybody in a cart. So I'll be, I mean, maybe it looks a little different on site. But the other thing is you got guys that are over 50 and people have been walking 20, 25 miles a week for 30 years. They're going to be beat up. you got to have an option for a car. You're not going to have a tour. Yeah. <laughs> and you not, said you did take a car. 5'8", right? you know, got perfect alignment. You know, some the taller guys, they're going to be – it's harder for a walk. Simple as that, you know. And you said you did take a cart the first two weeks, correct? I'll take, yeah, yeah. I took them just because I'm playing a lot more golf with the qualifying's going on on Tuesdays and not walking a lot in two years. So for now, I'm like, till I, uh, I'll walk again for sure. But I just, right now, I mean, I'd rather do that. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I was concerned about the rhythm of it and all that because you do get out there before the walkers in your group. But uh, if you're getting your outages and that, it actually goes by pretty quick. Now, the rules are the same besides the car. Like, you still obviously have caddies, and there's no range finders or anything like that on Champions Tour, correct? No, there's none of that, you know. But I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't come soon to probably all tours for the most part. But, yeah, no, the caddy can't ride with you. So, caddy can't ride at all. So, the caddy's carrying the bag. And then I drive up in the cart. And then I can drop the cart anytime. If I just want to go nine and walk nine, I can do that too. You know, and it's a good option. You know, I don't really need it right yet. I mean, I could have uh, started walking immediately, but some guys do need it. John Daly needs a cart. He needs a draw. Get him a cart. Yeah. <laughs> Not that hard. Yeah, he's a big name out there, no question, no matter how he plays. People like to see him. He's real. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> John Daly. It, it's funny you bring him up because he's a little bit like Tiger in the fact of he can be playing terrible and people still want to go watch him. Oh, I don't know why he wouldn't. You know, I mean, like I said, he it hurts. I think what people don't realize is they think that it doesn't bother him when he's not playing well, and it does bother him because he's there because he, comp- he likes to compete. He likes to do it. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have been as successful as he was, you know, even with all the talent he had if he didn't enjoy it. So, but he does a great job of handling it, and it's not easy. I can't imagine. No, and he's been through it, and I think that that 30 for 30 that came out on him yeah. on ESPN really showed light to what he's been through, and, you know, his, his road's been rough. Yeah, he's created a lot of it, and he'd tell you that, you know. I mean, he's created a lot of that, and he'd tell you that. He doesn't, he doesn't have any regrets, and, uh, you know, he's, he's, John's fun to be around. I, I enjoy being around. Him. Absolutely. So, all right, Tom, that, that'll wrap it up for us. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and we wish you the best in, in your future endeavors on the champions tour. And I, I hope that your fan base continues to grow. And I think you've got a quite the bright, uh, champions tour career ahead of you. And just want to thank you again for coming on the show. Well, no problem. I appreciate you having me and uh, enjoy our time together working on a golf game when we do it. And uh, 
good luck to you and the season and the team and things are good things are coming out of there really uh, what a great program it is over there appreciate that tom all right you have yourself a good night and we okay. will uh, talk to you soon see you bud take it easy <laughs> you too bye thanks for tuning in to this week's bomb and gouge podcast with tom gillis we'll see you every monday at 7 a.m